tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club, and this is your show. Well, after being a bundle of nerves on last week's episode of the Blue Moon Podcast, all we can say is that we're nothing if not City fans who grew up watching the old team play. What was there to worry about? A comfortable win at Wolves, albeit with the odd scare partway through, and progression to the next round of the League Cup with a dream debut goal for Liam Delap. What more could we have asked for? Welcome to this week's show, where we'll be returning to that bundle of nerve state to look ahead to the game with Leicester on Sunday. If Carlsberg did starts to the season, then this one isn't exactly the easiest, is it? Howard Hawkins also back on the show. He's talking about trusting the team to get the job done and what fans' expectations should be, given the strange situation in the world right now. And did you know that City broke another record with their Monday night win at Molyneux? More details on that one coming up soon as well. I'm your host, David Mooney, and with me this week is City fan Chris Higginbottom. Hello there. And one football's Dan Burke. Good evening. Thanks for, for being on very late, straight after the Bournemouth game. So uh, so it's, uh, it's what is it, Matt Hancock said, it's a pleasure to have me here. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's fine, mate. Don't worry about it. Uh, let's start with that game at Wolves, Dan, because uh, it felt like City had just gone, you know, from last season, look, let's stop any of this kind of fancy half pressing here and when the opposition do that. Literally, when the opposition have got the ball in their half, we're going to go after them like like God knows what. Yeah, and wasn't it great to see? I mean, I was I was as nervous about this game as anyone, especially you know in the sort of build up to the game when players were being ruled out with injury and uh, and and coronavirus left, right, and centre. And I kind of thought if we lose the first game of the season, it'll be disappointing, but it won't be the end of the world, you know, under the circumstances. And I don't know. I was already sort of thinking that the uh, the title was was sort of slipping away from us before <laughs> we even kicked a ball with Liverpool going like six points ahead already. So it I sounds ridiculous like, I, now, doesn't it? But yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I sat down to watch that Wolves game and I just thought, you know, whatever will be, will be. Hopefully they'll, they'll put in a, a good display and, and maybe maybe nick a draw, something like that. And from from pretty early on in the game, you could tell City were up for the game. They were, they were looking good. They were they were looking energetic. You know, De Bruyne was was bossing it in sort of slightly unfamiliar position to him. The midfield was was really strong and the pressing was, was amazing. As you say, the first half of that game, I think is the best City have played for ages. I don't think we played that well once all season as we did in that first half. I thought they were incredible. Um, obviously that sort of uh, you know the pressing dropped off a bit in the second half, understandably, given it be you know the first game of the season and and you know the, the uh, you know slight lack of options with players. I, th- I think that was we can we can let them off with that. And um, I think it might have been interesting to see how the game would have gone if we'd not got that penalty because that was a bit of a brain fart from the Wolves player and um, to give that away. And it really like gave City the chance to get a foothold in the game. And then before you knew it, it was two 0 wasn't it? But yeah, the the pressing was magnificent. They just cut off the supply to the Wolves strikers at the source for most of the game. And um, I hope they can uh, keep it up and in the games to come. Yeah, Chris, how much of that was was the answer to last season's problems? You know, not creating chances that they could score from. Well, that they solved that problem with two goals in the first half. And, you know, you know stopping the opposition actually getting towards the centre-backs, which were a real problem last season. Yeah, I mean, last season, I thought we we created a lot of chances that we could score from. It's just that in, in the big moments, in the big games, we weren't scoring from them. And... um 
it is rather helpful when somebody uh, commits to a slide tackle in the area from about <laughs> 19 yards away. Uh, <laughs> well, De Bruyne is like, on the ball as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like a bit of a gift. I mean, he kind of, it was a penalty and you couldn't not give it, but he kind of felt it coming, didn't he? And he went through the motions of being fouled because it was just so easy to 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 commit to that and get the penalty. But, but, but why like, wouldn't like you? That's the thing. No, yeah, absolutely. I'm not like you know, but like Dan says, it was a bit of a a brain fart, um, which was slightly fortunate. And but let's yeah, let's not take it away from the fact that we flew out the traps with uh, quite a bit of gusto there, and that that really does need to be taken into you know the upcoming games, obviously. Uh, last season we weren't doing that as much it's weird because you kind of felt that after the two consecutive um, premiership titles that maybe it's I mean it's hard to retain one isn't it to retain to win another one and then retain it again is asking a lot and it's like is this like mental tiredness is it just like hard to achieve those those levels but after a really weird non-existent pre-season they seem to have managed to to up it um which is testament to the to the team really well just just an idea that struck me just as you were speaking then chris is it part mm. like did we did we overreact to the problems that city had last season in that case do you know what i mean did, like we as fans did we did we like this performance feels like it came out of the blue where actually logically we, we should say it probably didn't well it's a combination of things isn't it um like we're we're naturally pessimistic anyway. I think last season it was kind of a perfect storm a lot of the time in that we were playing well enough, but there were some really key swings of decisions and moments that are really influential and went against us and went for Liverpool. I think the the extent of the gap is a little bit of a a false kind of barometer in terms of how good our team is compared to theirs. I don't think the, their team is that level of points. We're not that that huge amount off them. Um, they deserve to win the title. But there was a lot of little balancey moments where if it had gone this way, then it, perhaps it would have turned out a lot different. But I don't know. Uh, we, are, we are tending to be a bit negative especially with the way that the preseason went with Aguero being out with the COVID situation was, I was, I was expecting maybe a little bit of a, a messy escape uh, hangover in Pep's mind perhaps. But I mean, that wasn't this way. I wasn't dissuaded from that by his, his presser before the game either. He looked like, <laughs> he looked like he's just about to be executed. I was like, you know, <laughs> oh, this is awful. Like, it was, it looked a bit grim and, I think we could all all be forgiven for uh, fearing the worst, but you know, in the new era of typical city, uh, they uh, they blew us away. Yeah, Dan, is is the answer to last season's issues uh, Fernandinho and Rodri in midfield? It is for the, in the short term at least, yeah, because I thought those two were absolutely excellent. I mean, Rodri clearly had a a, a bit of a. Um, He'd been told to deal with Adama Traore and, and to help out along that left-hand side. And there were a couple of times when I think he, he was lucky not to get booked, actually. He just sort of pushed him over at, at uh, times, which is no mean feat, I don't think. He's a big lad, isn't he? You know, he's got got like the job done. Player. Yeah, but exactly. You can't, yeah. Grab him. you can't grab him. You have to push him because, you know, he smears baby oil over That's his right, arm. Yeah. So you can't <laughs> yeah. grip him. I mean, that's a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah, but, but yeah, 
They kept they kept it's a really good interruption, quiet. don't worry. That's <laughs> <laughs> to be said about. <laughs> yeah, they kept him really quiet, and I thought and Roger Roger was key to that, and he was you know mopping up in, in defence and playing some nice passes, and almost scored what would have been one of the greatest goals I've ever seen. I think if that had flew into the top corner instead of going just an inch wide, and then Fernandinho, I mean that man is thirty five years old. We've not seen him playing in midfield for a long time, um, and I, I thought we'd probably never see him play midfield for City again. Actually, um, so it was a bit of a surprise to see him line up there, and his performance was just amazing, wasn't it? I, I think you know when he does hang up his boots, he should go and become a firefighter because he just loves going around <laughs> putting out fires all over the place doesn't he and I think I noticed about Fernandinho perhaps for the first time in this game is how good he is at sort of clearing the ball under pressure how good he is at just like taking a touch in the box and just whacking it away and that was really important for City especially um, in the second half when Wolves were putting a bit of pressure on so you know I would like to imagine that those two will play a bit more um, in that position because you know with, with Leicester coming up at the weekend they're going to have another t- tough test there and the the extra protection those two put on the back four definitely was a, was one of the key things that got this victory for City. Yeah, mm. I, the thing with you know Fernandinho being back in midfield as well is it it it, it just offers that screen to the defenders, doesn't it, mm. Chris? He's yeah, he's got such a, a sort of grace under pressure. He's got like ice in his veins when he really needs to. Be it in defence when we're under the cosh, he will be the one to just calmly stroll in there um, and either if it needs the laces putting through it then he's happy to do that he'll also control the ball and calmly start the build up out of defence when you know a second earlier it looked like we were in danger of conceding and he shows a real aggression as well but again tempered and, and calm when, when we're bearing down on their box there's a time late on in the game where he just won a couple of tackles that he's just got no right to win, especially at 35 in the latter stages of a, a Premier League game against Wolves, who've already got a game under the belt and we're supposed to be, you know, um, not not coming out to that to that level. And he's just he's just he's a phenomenon, really. He's uh, he's an absolute, you know, stunning stunning professional. Were you surprised that it was Stones that was the pick next to Ake, Dan? Uh, yeah, very surprised. Yeah, I mean, I, I think. Um, well, I, me and you did a video with Stephen McInerney last week, didn't we, Mooney? Where I yeah. said like <laughs> Stones is going to end up being a really important player for City. I don't even think I believe that really. It's just been <laughs> something that's been sort of playing in my mind a little bit, thinking about is he going to leave? Is he not going to leave? If he does stay, what kind of role does he have in the squad? And you know, I knew that he would get an opportunity to sort of prove himself at some point um, during the early part of the season, but I imagined it would probably be in the Carabao Cup. I didn't think it would come in the first game of the season. And I think the Gundogan being unavailable probably forced Guardiola's hand in, in that respect. I think he probably would have played Fernandinho centre-back if Gundogan was available and probably Gundogan and Rodri in the centre midfield. And who knows, maybe we'll we'll look back at, at Gundogan uh, getting coronavirus as like a pivotal moment in, in the next, uh, you know, few next months few of the weeks, season. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I thought I thought Stones did well. Um, you know, there was a moment pretty early on in the game when there was like a dodgy sort of ball coming towards him, bouncing ball quite fast. And I was a bit nervous, like, how's he going to deal with this? And he took it on his chest calmly and got it away. And that, that's the sort of thing that he was bought for. You know, that's that's what Guardiola saw in him at Everton that made him pay 50 million for him. And, and even though, you know, he's had his issues uh, injury-wise and, and off the pitch in the last few years and his, his City career has not, not been looking too great, you know, when his chance comes along, he's got to take it. And I think he did against Wolves the other night. So I, I would expect him to probably start the next game against Leicester. 
Yeah, were you getting a bit nervous, uh, Chris, in the second half when the press wasn't as as intense because uh, you know obviously they they barely had any time to to do any kind of conditioning work, so obviously it will drop off a little bit. Um, and suddenly Wolves were starting to get a few chances. Yeah, I was really concerned, but it wasn't unexpected. I mean, they're a great side, aren't they, going forward? Um, they've got some really good players. Flashed a bit of cash as well. I don't know if uh, have they felt, have they. Getting away with all this under uh, <laughs> FFP, doing well there, aren't they? But uh, yeah, you expect Wolves to to have strong periods in the game because they've got such attacking prowess with the the players they've got. It'd be more weird if they didn't have a few good spells in the game. Um, and there were a couple of occasions where Stones looked a little bit. Where you're thinking, oh God, no, no, I hope he doesn't get to him. You know, that sort of hello darkness, my old friend <laughs> expression on his, on his face. But he, I thought he did really well. It's like, yeah. Um, How did that guy do? It's hard for Pep to surprise us because he's always pulling odd rabbits out of the hat. How did Ake do? I thought he was great. Very solid. Um, you know, you didn't really... He didn't do anything spectacular, which is what you want. There was a few really good, solid, proper tackles in there. P- passed the ball really well and just did the sensible thing over and over again, which is absolutely what you require from your from your centre-half on his debut. Yeah, so all in all then, the Wolves game, Dan, um, has that changed your mood about the rest of this season already? Just like a flick of a switch? Yes, it has very much so. Perhaps that's foolish on my part. Perhaps I shouldn't be so fickle and, and sort of, you know, change my mind like I changed my underpants but um yeah, it's like Chris said earlier about your underpants uh no that was we, we said we weren't going to discuss that on air Chris um no the the uh about about Guardiola's kind of demeanor and even after the game he seemed yeah. he still seemed like he was a bit like uh, in his feelings a little bit I don't know what's what's going on with him there whether the whole uh, you know pandemic is getting to him or something like that or whether there's something behind the scenes that's happened that he's not too happy with that was a bit of a concern but then like you watch Guardiola during that game and he was he was kicking every ball he was living it and um, no I just I just kind of like I said before I didn't really expect City to win this game I just wanted to see something from them and I definitely saw something at Molyneux that, that makes me think that they are sort of fired up and ready to try and um, put right everything that went wrong last season whether it'll happen or not who knows? Well, you know, the, the next few weeks will 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 give us a better idea of that. You can't really read too much into one game, but it was yeah, it was a great performance. Like I said, one one of the best performances we've had uh, in the last couple of years. It's those little moments, though, isn't it? You know, where Wolves really got into it, and w- there was like a ten minute spell where they could have scored four goals. Really, there was there was three or four really good chances, but they didn't. Uh, and last season, when teams were doing that, they they were getting it, and. You know, you need that kind of look to have a good season, don't you? So mm. hopefully it portends well. One thing I will say, though, Chris, just to temper that a little bit, uh, two games played this season, twice the opposition have scored with their first shot on target. Oh, yeah, bring us down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so is that a question or are you just... Are you just uh, I'm just, just making a point. Confidence? Yeah, no, well, well, yeah, it's, it's, well, it's obviously a valid point, but... Um, yeah, the Bournemouth shot, that was pretty poor defending, wasn't it? It was like when the when the ball went across, there were two players that had split the defence and we kind of got to one of them and he just rolled with uh, relative ease 
got his shot off and yeah, there was no no saving it right in the corner. Yeah. Um but well, that that the Wolves goal, Meg's if you Meg De Bruyne and put a pinpoint cross in like that, which pretty much parted Mendy's hair as it uh, landed on uh, the Wolves lad's head. I mean, some, sometimes you just can't, you can't do much about it. So as long as we're doing it at the other end, then uh, yeah, we'll give them that. Well, uh, let's move on to that Bournemouth game. Um, it was, you know, it, the story of the game was uh, was Liam Delap. Uh, he was the standout. And, you know, at, at half-time in the match, I spoke to our EDS expert, Sean Blinkhorn, to get his reaction to that goal. If I was to be honest with you, he looked ready as soon as he broke through. Um, even at 16, he's just he's just got everything to his game. I mean, I don't want to talk, I don't want to hype him up too much because obviously he's only 17. But you saw from his finish tonight, and not just the finish, but the run that where he chased down that that lad towards the towards the end of the half and gave him a little kick after the ball went out and what have you. He's he's just got so much to him. He's so quick. He's so strong. Um, that the finish was with his weak foot. I mean, what more can you ask for? The 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 side to him that, that I don't know whether it gets talked about as much or not because there's that not that much written about him these days in the last few weeks um but the kind of tenacity to to his game is the aggression it kind of i mean he's already been sent off he, he misses the next reserve game you know he's, he has got that to him he's got a bit of a bite to him as well as all the things you've seen so far he's a wonderful player to watch at such a young age I was going to say, that sounds perfect for what Pep Guardiola demands as well of a striker. He wants somebody who's going to run after the ball and press the ball and just be be aggressive out of possession. Yeah, and again, from someone so young, um, he kind of seems like something different at the same time to what we've, what we've got already from the senior players. He's a lot taller than Aguero and Jesus. I'd say if there was one weakness to his game is probably in the air. I mean, he'll probably go on to score and I don't know and put this to bed. But um, his, his, his size is used more to hold people off than it is to leap in the air and, uh, and nab a few. So he, he offers something different at the same time as offering exactly the same thing as, as the other two strikers. And, and like you've just seen with his left foot, he knows, he knows how to put them away as well. I was going to say, I mean, we've talked on the podcast already this season about our city a little bit lightweight up front when Aguero's not there because obviously Jesus is, is blows hot and cold. Could, could, and I, and I stress that again, he's 17, so we have to take it like fairly lightly, but could Delap offer something for the first team long-term this season as well as in seasons to come? I don't see why not. I mean, Pep in general, if, if a player's going to be ready for him, he's going to be ready at 17. I think Foden, Foden made the bench to the surprise of all of us. I was against Celtic at 16 years old. Um, so if you're going to be ready, you're going to be ready early. And I think Pep's seen it already. So obviously, as, I, as I've said in years gone by, I don't know if you have to get into his head, the manager's head to find out how much he's going to feature for the rest of the year. But he certainly looks ready to to put that pressure on at least. And if you're Gabriel Jesus and you're watching the, you're watching this young lad play tonight, you're thinking to yourself, well, exactly what we are. He's ready to play. He can score goals. Obviously, the Premier League is another step up from here. We've got to temper that, as well as tempering the age and what have you. But he's certainly got all the attributes for me. Please give us your backing. 
patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. That's Sean Blinkhorn speaking to me at halftime in the game against uh, Bournemouth at uh, larger because we're recording this straight after the game. Um, Dan, he was, uh, Liam Delap was was the one everyone was talking about before the game. Um, he's, he's, it's almost like a bit of a mobile wardrobe. Does that make sense? <laughs> I think that's a bit... <laughs> Can I just say no? No, it doesn't. <laughs> anyway, yeah, quick question. See you later, Don. <laughs> I think that's a bit unfair, actually. I think he's uh, the, the dictionary definition of good feet for a big man, isn't he? I mean, I don't know how tall he... I was surprised that I looked him up during the game, actually. I, I thought he was older than 17. He sort of looks older than 17. He looks, you know, very he much look, wise beyond his years in a football He looks sense. like he's been playing in the Football League for about 15 years with that yeah, performance. Yeah, but I mean, what a finish that was. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah, Absolutely. really good finish top bins wasn't it um and he went close uh with another one i think which which would have been a nice goal um but yeah he he was he had a great performance i was really impressed with him i didn't you know expect him to start this game i thought he might play some some part in it after he was on the bench at molyneux and for him to play the full 90 minutes you know score his first goal really put himself about it's very encouraging for city it's just you know well there's been all this talk this summer haven't there of do we need it do we need to sign another striker maybe we don't need to sign another striker well i was gonna i was gonna ask that question i asked it to sean and and you know we heard his reaction was was he doesn't see why not chris could could delap be a bit more useful for the first team than maybe we thought last week I think he could. Um, I mean, normally you'd, you'd rule him out because he's so young, but just to frame on him, um, it's not like he's going to get bullied. And I, I really liked, I know it's a bit tight on their keeper because he did nearly um, end his life uh, <laughs> during that challenge, but I liked that he was putting a marker down with his sort of uh, his attitude, not just his physicality, but... Yeah, okay. He he had no he, he didn't really need to go for it. Having said that, he did get tugged back a little bit when he initially went for it, but he committed as if to say I will give you 100% because he's trying to make an impression on on Pep. He probably thinks he's good enough for the first team. I've seen a few of his goals for the uh you know, the younger side set up and he's he's absolutely, you know, he, he does belt them in. I think um is worth certainly worth taking a few more looks at. You know, we've never really. I've always regretted um, getting rid of Jacko. I don't know. There's there's shades of that finish um, off that sumptuous Foden pass. By the way, let's, let's mention that. Yeah, but there's a bit of Jacko about the way he just sort of looked up and uh, and stroked it into the top corner. Yeah, I just had a little bit of a oh yeah, that was uh, reminiscent of of our Edin that night. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, Edin probably would take a couple more efforts to get to get one of those. <laughs> I wouldn't be quite so physical. So pff, more more of that, yes, please. Yeah, um, a couple of other names to mention. Uh, Tommy Doyle looked pretty good, didn't he, Dan? He did, yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, it's not not his first rodeo, is it, Tommy Doyle? He's he's almost a season pro now. He's played a couple of Carabao Cup games last season. Uh, still love that he wears number sixty nine on the back of his shirt as well. I think that's very <laughs> very nice touch. Um, so yeah, he he's a player that uh, we hope we're going to see a lot more of in the coming years. That he's perhaps sort of the next in line to Foden's throne as the sort of next. Uh, next leader of the next generation, whatever you want to call it. Um, and yeah, I thought he was very impressive. There was a great like, little Rivellino turn he did on someone at one point. Um, and he's like, he's sort of, 
when he played against Southampton last season in the Carabao Cup, he played like holding midfielder again then, didn't he, I've seen to recall. Yeah. Um, which isn't really his position. So he's been sort of asked to do a job that isn't really, um, you know, what, what he's what he's grown up doing in a football sense. Doesn't get phased, does he? Not at all, no. He seems like he can, he can, he can do a bit of everything in midfield. And, uh, you know, he's... All these lads are playing against, uh, you know, a team like Bournemouth who've just come down from the Premier League. Um, they're no slouches, and really, you know, and, and they didn't look overall. They didn't look like it was men against boys at any point, did they? Really, if anything, you would have said the, the City players look more look, look more experienced. Yeah, I was going to say, Chris, is it a compliment to City's kids or an insult to City's senior pros to say that you couldn't really tell who was who based on that performance? Um. I don't think it's an insult to the pros. Um, definitely a compliment to the to the younger um, lads coming through. But I think there's kind of like almost a different attitude that the the two categories of players employ, isn't there? When they when they when they're playing like that, because you've got the the senior ones who are not playing within themselves, but they kind of they've already proved themselves. So there's a more of a I don't know, more of a measured performance about it where there's a little bit more intensity from the youngsters, which kind of, it balances out, right? You've you got to pick it right um, for it to for it to work I and mean, for it to look so seamless. So credit to Pep, really, that it did look like that. I mean, the possession stats were, as you'd expect, with, with the first team. So, yeah, credit credit to everybody, really. Yeah, well, uh, City's 3-1 win over Wolves on Monday night gave them yet another Premier League record. It's the first time in the competition's history that a team has won their opening game in 10 consecutive seasons. Kieran Murray has been taking a look at the decade of good starts. Kevin De Bruyne was happy with Monday night's win. I think we played really well. Um, Obviously, in the second half, you know, there's going to be stages where it's a little bit difficult because offensively they're they're really strong. But I think um, we played secure. We we didn't take too many risks and we knew with only two weeks of training, it's going to be hard and we we felt that. But I think uh, we played secure. Uh, props to the defenders, defensive midfielders, because they, they keep kept it tight and I think we, we did really well. He spoke to Sky Sports after the 3-1 win at Molyneux. It was a 10th opening match victory for City in a row, dating back to 2011, and a 4-0 home win over Swansea, notable for two goals by new signing Sergio Aguero. Roberto Mancini was the manager. I think that it was important for us to start the season very well, but I think the season will be really, really long, very hard. Uh, every game is difficult. Tonight, I think that in the first half, Swansea played very well and we had some problem. It's clearly after the first goal, was uh, easier, but before, uh, was not easy. He was the manager the last time City didn't win their first game in the new term. It was a 0-0 draw at Tottenham in 2010. Back then, the iPhone 4 was just two months old. The King's Speech, The Social Network and part one of the final Harry Potter movie, The Deathly Hallows, were a few weeks away from being in cinemas and Phil Foden was 10 starting year five of Bridge Hall Primary School in Stockport. It was the only opening day Mancini didn't win. In his final season, starting in 2012, City beat Southampton. Here's man of the match, Samir Nasri, speaking to Sky. I think we are ready. Uh, we did it against Chelsea, but you know sometimes it's, a, it's a, always a little bit difficult when you, you miss the first chance of the game, when you miss a penalty, then the confidence becomes a little bit low. 
and uh, after one uh, one hill maybe we were overconfident and they, they punish us uh, but uh, we show great character and that's the most important there was a new manager in the dugout the following season manuel pellegrini said he got off to a great start with a 4-0 success over newcastle at the Etihad. it's the way i like that, that my team play but uh, for being an uh, attacking team we must need uh, to to know how to defend and i think that today the, we did both things very, very well. That's why I'm, I'm pleased about the, the way that my team play, because we play as an uh, offensive team. But when we didn't have uh, the ball, all of them, the 11 of them, uh, work hard. The next two seasons, though, were a bit same old story. Both saw City get off to a good start, but they faded away. Defending the title in 2014, they started against Newcastle again, but this time at St James's Park. Eden Jacko was excellent that day. I'm very happy uh, because of uh, my performance and the, the performance of the team because I think we were brilliant today and uh, it's always good to start uh, start the season with a win, especially away uh, in Newcastle where uh, it's always tough to go and uh, I think uh, we did well today. That, like the 3-0 win away at West Brom the next year, didn't signal how the season would end up. Yaya Torre scored twice at the Hawthorns in 2015. I hope this year is going to be fine for us, but the most important, we have a, we have a target, you know, try to bounce back again last, last two, two years ago. But we always have to, to do our job, you know what I mean? Sometimes, you know, people criticise you, but unfairly, you know what I mean? But we don't care what they say, we don't care. No, the most important for us is try to, to make, to make uh, everything 100%. Pep Guardiola's first opening day was a success too, but like the two seasons before it, the form tailed off. There was a bigger story in 2016 too, as the new manager dropped Joe Hart for the 2-1 win over Sunderland. I think Willie made a very good preseason, really, really good, and uh, he gave me for today a lot of confidence for the, his built-up plays, for his personality, and and that's why I, I choose for him. Two title winning seasons were to follow though. Not that you'd have seen the dominance that City produced between August 2017 and May 2019 coming from their opening day wins. The first was 2-0 at Brighton and captain Vincent Company was pleased. We've got quality in the team and this season is going to be long and um, like I said today was, um, was an improvement on a lot of things we've done last season. I mean we had a five minute spell where we were under pressure, we, uh, we put our bodies in, we, we did some important tackles and then eventually we, we got the goal because we were patient, like you said. So uh, ultimately, a lot of positive things to take out of this game and, and we kind of build on, build on the pre-season we had. 12 months on, it was 2-0 again, this time at Arsenal. Here's goal scorer Bernardo Silva. I think we started well the season. Uh, we knew we were going to play against a very strong team uh, at a difficult stadium always here at the Emirates. But we did it. I think it was a very good game for us, well-deserved win. Uh, but it's just the start, we have to keep working, knowing that it was just the first game, only three points. And we'll think game by game to, to win again the Premier League, knowing that we're still in August. The 5-0 win at West Ham last season was dogged by distractions, mainly from the newly added VAR system. Despite that, Raheem Sterling scored a hat-trick and he spoke to BT Sport. It's a team that every year we want to keep improving, we want to keep winning titles and you know the mindset that the manager um, sets for us. and and the, the players themselves as well, you know, we've got to do this year in, year out and um, it's a new season now, we, we really want to start well and, and keep going. As City's last decade proves, a winning start doesn't always provide a winning end and there's a long way still to go. But Wolves away is not an ideal game to begin with, so it can only be a good sign that they came back with three points 
and an excellent opening match performance. Hi, I'm Fabian Delph, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Kieran Murray looking at City's starts to the season for the last 10 years there. Now, uh, just before we move on, uh, guys, starts to the season. Uh, you don't know we're going to do this, but... It's a quiz on City's Premier League <laughs> opening day matches. Yeah, a quiz on City's Premier League opening day matches. Uh, Six questions, you can have one each. Uh, There's no offering them across, it's a point per question. You all know the drill by now. Uh, Dan, would you like to go first or second? (laughs) I'll I'll go second, please. Pile the pressure on Chris. Okay, Chris, pick a number, one to six. I'm always so bad at these. Uh, Five, no, six. Number six. Uh, Who is the only City player to be sent off on the opening day of a Premier League season? Oh... Uh, Joey Barton. No, but he did play in that team that day. It was Bernardo Carradi, 3 0 nah. loss at Chelsea. How could you forget him? Just with, uh, you know, intent and practice. <laughs> Dan, let's have a number. Uh, two, please. Number two. Uh, who scored City's first ever opening day goal in the Premier League? Mm, Niall Quinn. No, it's David White. Oh. One all at Main Road with QPR 1992. Yeah. That was on a Monday night, uh, wasn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, Andy yeah. Sinton got the equaliser. He did indeed. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, anyway, nice question. Nil-nil <laughs> after, uh, after, after one go each. Chris? Um, number two? Uh, that's the one that Dan's just had. So I told you I was bad at this. Uh, number one. Number one. Uh, who was the City manager the last time they lost their opening Premier League game? Oh, God. Uh, it's just designed to make me look an absolute imbecile. Uh, I'm not capable of doing that on my own without this kind of quiz. Here we go, though. Uh, ten years. It's 2010. Oh, man, I don't even know. Um, oh, I should be Googling this. <laughs> 2010. I'm going to have to push you. Uh, Hughes. It was Mark Hughes. Belting. I, I didn't do it, by the way. 4 2 loss at Aston Villa 2008. Yes. I mean, oh. So 1 0. Uh, Dan, let's have a number. Uh, five. Number five. How many home Premier League opening day games have City lost? It's oh, a tough one, isn't it? Fucking hell. Um, <laughs> three. Uh, they've never lost an opening oh, Premier League sure game at home. Trixie. Sure you were going to do that, yeah. <laughs> so, 1-0 uh, to you, Chris. You can seal it with the win here. You've got uh, numbers three or four left. Which would you like? Um, four. Number four. Please. Who was the first City manager to win their opening Premier League game of the season? Um, Keegan. It was Kevin Keegan. <laughs> Get in. <laughs> away at Charlton uh, back in 2003 that was the first opening day that City won so Dan it's uh, it's purely for pride now Uh, question number three who is the only City player to score a hat-trick in a Premier League opening day Um, Aguero 
No, mm-hmm. it was uh, last Anelka? season's opening day. It was Raheem Sterling. Uh, I don't, I don't even remember that at all. To five, be honest, five nil at West Ham. The, the weird thing is, oh, when I was yeah. going back through the the opening days of the season, uh, last season's was the only one of the last ten years that I couldn't remember. <laughs> you know, I would have got all Chris's questions right there as well. So, ah, uh, it's uh, if you'd have gone what first. They all say, it's what they all yeah, say, mate. Uh, yeah. What well, do I stuff. win? Should I stay in for the postman tomorrow? Or uh, I, I'll be honest, mate. I wouldn't bother. No. Okay. <laughs> now, Sam, you remember the images of Pep Guardiola at Oktoberfest, don't you? I certainly do. How? Who can forget that lederhosen? <laughs> exactly. Have you been yourself? Uh, you know what? I've not. It's on my bucket list, and I, I'm a big fan of... Um, you know, the, the way the Germans have a good party for the Oktoberfest, it always looks amazing. I, I'm a big fan of Albert Schloss as well that's in Manchester, which is that sort of October sort of uh, sort of sort themed place. Yeah, that sort yeah. of feel. Yeah, so I need to do it. I mean, I've been lucky to go to um, to Munich when, when City have played over there and we've been to like the Augustina Keller and the Hofbrau House, uh, some some really cool places. And you just get a little sense of it. But no, to do the, to do the full Oktoberfest is on the bucket list, definitely. Right, well, obviously, this year's event isn't going ahead. Uh, but just like the football, you could celebrate the world's most famous beer festival behind closed doors and do it in style with Beerhawk. Beerhawk is a craft beer shop that delivers to your doorstep in the UK and delivery is free for orders over £50. Beerhawk started with a mission in 2012 to bring delicious craft beer to the homes of discerning drinkers across the country. There are thousands of beers available to suit every taste and style. There are lagers, IPAs, stouts, Belgian beers, real ales, and there are careful curated mixed cases so you can discover a new favourite based on your style of beer. And Blue Moon podcast listeners are getting 10% off. Just enter the promo code BLUE, that's B-L-U-E, that's beerhawk.co.uk. And Sam, I think you've got some there to sample, haven't you? Yeah, I certainly do. I've got a um, a World Lager mixed case here and I've picked out from this a, uh, and I put it in the fridge so it's ice cold. I've picked out a Belgian beer because obviously, you know, one of our greatest ever players, Vincent Company, and uh, of course, Kevin De Bruyne, you know, two Belgian lads. Belgians, so, yeah. I've, yeah, of course, see the link there I've done. Um, I've gone for a Jupiler and um, yeah, this looks Really awesome. I'm just about to... uh well, crack on, to, yeah. Yeah, there, there we go. Um, mm. Yeah, really crisp and really sort of refreshing, actually. Um, yeah, actually, it's, it's really nice because I, I've, I've been to Belgium once. Uh, and yeah, it's taking me back almost. It's uh, it's one of a, a number of selection in the uh, the World Lager mixed case that I've got here that I'm I'm looking forward to. It's nice as well because um, it's beers that there's a, there's a couple that I've tried before. So there's a, a Camden Hells and a, a Tiny Rebel uh, Lazy Boy Lager, which is a favourite of mine anyway. But then there's also some really cool ones in here like a... Um, uh, I'm just looking. I can't even pronounce some of them. They're that cool. Um, <laughs> a traditional, there's a traditional Czech beer that uh, Bohemia Re- Regent uh, looks awesome. I'm going to try that a little bit later as well. And there's also a nice little um, dinky Flensburger Gold, which looks pretty cool. But yeah, plenty, plenty, well, to, plenty to, uh, to, to go up. Yeah, to <laughs> dig into. Uh, well, if you like Sam could celebrate Oktoberfest in style from the comfort of your own home with Beerhawk's range of Oktoberfest beery packs. And these are the official Oktoberfest beers as well. They also come with a stein for that authentic touch. The cases are extremely limited, so if you want to grab yours with 10% off, use the promo code BLUE, that's B-L-U-E, at beerhawk.co.uk. Prost. 
Check out exclusive City interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. So now it's time to look ahead at the game with Leicester on Sunday. Uh, we're joined by Pete Selby from the For Fox Sake podcast about Leicester City. And Pete, I've got to be very careful with how I say that. <laughs> You do. You want to try saying it once or twice a week for the best part of five years. <laughs> um, if it was, uh, if Leicester's post-lockdown form wasn't great at the end of last season, you've certainly started this season well, haven't you? We have. It was interesting when we restarted football after lockdown because I, pessimistically, a Leicester fan, most Leicester fans kind of are, but we we thought actually Leicester would do quite well. At the restart, it didn't happen at all. It was completely the opposite, and we know that they finished in fifth place. But at the start of the season, it's been the opposite way around. Most fans were quite pessimistic, and even though they've had two relatively easy games, as you'll put into the Premier League season, away at West Brom at home against Burnley, they've actually started very well. So it's been an interesting last few months for Leicester fans because it's completely gone against what most people have thought. I was going to say, how what's the mood like among Leicester fans? Um, just because, I mean, last season you came so close to, to, to breaking into the top four and getting that Champions League place. I mean, uh, this season, obviously, that, that must be the, the objective, is it? I would actually say no, it's probably not the objective. It, most Leicester fans are all... Uh, we were obviously massively disappointed we didn't get European football in the Champions League. That was the big thing. We were 14 points clear at one stage. It was a big error. It was just a, a huge disappointment that we didn't get Champions League football. But then when you look at this season, you, you've got to look this season as a, as a brand new season. And then you look at your own squad and you kind of look at your own team and go, what is our position in the league? Where can we realistically aim? You look at what other clubs have been doing in the transfer window. And then you look at Leicester and go, externally, I think many people, uh, maybe like yourselves, maybe thought that we, we would be one of those clubs kind of aiming for Champions League. Generally, amongst Leicester fans, uh, we haven't been and, and we won't be because the average league position that people have mentioned is around eighth place in terms of, uh, tables being created before the season started of where do you think teams will finish compared to last season? Leicester were towards the bottom on average because it will be a few places below fifth place last year. And that's just being realistic. It's nothing against the manager. It's nothing against the current team. It's just realistically looking at this season and going with the squad we've got, with the fixture list and again with Europe, Probably around 7th or 8th is where most Leicester fans will think they'll finish. And if that's the case, fine. And maybe a run in Europe and a cup run, etc. will be fine. But you've kind of got to be realistic at our level. And I think and Leicester fans generally are a fairly realistic bunch. Well, if, if Leicester fans are realistic, Dan, a City fans pessimistic? Because you look at, at, at the way this season started, um, you'd be forgiven for thinking that the world was going to end the week before the Wolves game. Suddenly, you know, they've beaten Wolves. They've got, a, let's face it, a tough game against Leicester. Uh, but confidence should be up a bit, shouldn't it? Yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be a tough game against Leicester. I mean, the game against Wolves was 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 a tough one as well. Um, City started the season really well there. Um, you know, I was I was not feeling too confident ahead of that game at all. Um, and, and you look at the performance that City put in, the where they played um 
really dominated Wolves. You know, the pressing was really good. So I'd like to think they will uh, they will come out against Leicester and, and start well again and, and and sort of have control of the game like they did against Wolves. But it is, it's going to be a really hard game. It's going to be a harder game possibly than the Wolves game even. You know, um, Timothy Castagna there is a really good signing they've made. I watched Leicester against Burnley last week. I thought Harvey Barnes was excellent. I thought James Madison looked really good. I thought Yuri Tielemans was good as well. So, you know, they've got a lot of good players. They've got Jamie Vardy who can cause our defence, you know, any defence with a high line problems. So I think uh, we've got to be wary about him. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a really tough game. And Chris, how are, how are you feeling about it? The season or Leicester or both? Um, uh, well, both. Take, take your pick. <laughs> well, I mean, well, the season was over, wasn't it? It felt like it was like it was just crumbled into into dust before we were six points off the top. Guerrero out for two months. Um, COVID ravaging its way through the ranks. And uh, yeah, it was, you know, that that old City pessimism was, was creeping in, but impressed with the Wolves' performance. Um, I totally agree with what Dan was saying there regarding watching Leicester. I thought they were, they were impressive. Um, but yeah, I mean, Pete's saying, there are, it sounds like there are only a few injuries away from uh, being in a, a difficult position. I don't know. It's... Difficult, isn't it? It's, it's always always tough against Leicester. Jamie Vardy's always capable of um, springing springing past, beating the offside trap. I'm uh, unsure about uh, about how it's going to go, but after Wolves, a lot more confident. So yeah, pretty hopeful. I think the City fans listening to this, Pete, will be worried about Vardy. Um, how's he started the season? Jamie Vardy's Jamie Vardy. I've been on a number of. Uh, uh, different outlets over the last few weeks talking about Jamie Vardy. You know all what Jamie Vardy's about. He, he scored a hat trick against Man City under the Pep era. Not many clubs have, not many players have done that. In only, that only one other player has done it uh, against Pep City. There Lionel Messi. It, Lionel Messi. He is. <laughs> there you go. It, it's, it's, it's not bad company to keep. It, just to talk about Vardy for for one minute. Um, it, it's it's a genuine thing in Leicestershire. He's the best player that's ever played for the club in the history of the club. That's in the 60s when they were the Ice Kings in 63, nearly won the double. In the 70s when they were the most flamboyant teams around with the likes of Wurns and Weller, etc. And in the 80s with the Alinicas, 90s we all know about with Elliot Walsh and Muzzy Izzet, etc. Lennon in the Premier League. He is the best player that's ever played for the football club. You ask any age of Leicester fan. We all know what he can do. We all know what potency he's got. He averages 20 goals a season in the Premier League over five years. Averages. And that is bang on 20, by the way, if you add it up. It's unbelievable. He is a phenomenal footballer. He can damage any team. He's done it against City. Who knows? Hopefully, we have on one side Harvey Barnes and Undair on the other side. I think that's the way Leicester are going to go. They're going to go full on. Uh, counter-attack, three ultra-quick players. It'd be lovely to see what Undair does on the right. Alan Mares cuts in on his left foot. It's just the sort of player we need since, obviously, Riyadh's gone to the Etihad. And then sitting further back, uh, they're going to be a bit more cautious. Uh, Yuri Tillemans has been mentioned, a lovely footballer. This season, slightly playing steeper. OK, we're playing against two lesser teams early on, and he's been stroking the ball around all over the place. Lovely footballer, great to watch. And it's in the Belgium trio we've got now, who we call on the podcast, the Tin Tin Tin. Because you've got <laughs> Timothy Castagna, you've got Dennis Pratt, and you've got Yuri Tillemans. 
Dennis Pratt's been going further forward than he has last year. He's taken the position of James Madison, who I don't think will start. He's now got back into the team through uh, his injury problems he had in the last season. He started in the, the League Cup defeat the other day, but I don't think he's ready for the Premier League. But the one thing Dennis Pratt does, he goes beyond the forward line. So at the moment, there's a the trend in football. You look at England, you look at Tottenham, for example, where the forward stands there with the two wingers either side going further forward, breaking that line. That's what happens at Leicester with hopefully Undair and Barnes. And what Pratt has been doing, he's been the one midfielder who's now breaking that line, getting to the byline, something that Madison doesn't do. And I think that's the way Leicester are going to go. They're missing Ndidi. He's out for between six and 12 weeks. Really bad injury for Leicester. Very, very disappointing. He's got a groin injury and we'll see how long he's out for. But Papi Mendy will be the defensive midfielder who started actually very well. A player who actually was released by Leicester at the end of last season and then re-signed on a two-year deal. And then hopefully Johnny Evans will come into the bat line, which will be his first game of the season. Maybe if he's not fully match fit, it might be Wes Morgan. There's a problem. Yes, the guy's a, a hero at Leicester, but you're playing against Man City. So that's roughly how Leicester are going to set up. I think they're going to be fairly defensive. And if the forward three are Undair, Barnes, who started the season on fire, and also then Jamie Vardy, that's three very attacking forwards. And also, you're arguing amongst not many other players of who are three quicker players in the Premier League. Well, listening to, to that, um, is it is it Stones and Ake with Fernandinho and Rodri in front of them again, do you think, Dan? Is that is that the best option? Uh, I would Well, I would definitely go with the, the Fernandinho-Rodri thing again because I think it worked extremely well against Wolves. Um, you know, it just makes me feel so safe, those two just clearing things <laughs> up. And, and Rodri, Rodri came off after 60 minutes um, against against Bournemouth in the Cup. Um, which suggests that he's been saved for the weekend. Fernandinho didn't play at all. You know, he put a hell of a shift in uh, against Wolves. So, yeah, I would like to think those two will be in there sweeping up. Um, Ake, I would definitely, you know, imagine him starting. You know, John Stones, I think there's probably a bit of a question mark over him, uh, despite the fact that he played really well against Wolves. I don't know if he's if he's necessarily first choice. Um, I guess we'll find out about Laporte and, and co- his COVID yeah. situation as well. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if he's fit, I would imagine that he would come straight in. Um, and possibly play alongside Ake in defence. But yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say at the moment. Chris, it is it is about that Fernandinho back in midfield role though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think Pep's hand being forced somewhat by um, Gundogan not being available kind of helped things. I prefer, I preferred, uh, I was quite glad to see um Rodri and Fernandinho, because I think it's a nice balance between kind of tempered aggression and defensive uh, mindedness. Although having said that, uh, it looks like Rodri's been told he's not scoring enough goals, isn't it? <laughs> some, of the, some of the efforts he's been fizzing. Um, but yeah, great, great combo. Uh, happy to see it. Would be happy to see it again. Do you think would would that be enough though to to stop Jamie Vardy? Do you think, Chris? Because uh, he 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 historically causes City so many problems. Well, he causes everybody problems. Like Pete said, Jamie Vardy's Jamie Vardy. What if he gets an opportunity and spots it? Then you know, quite often he's in, and there's nothing you can do about it. How old is he now? He must be cracking on a bit, and he's still thirty-three. I think he is, isn't he? Yeah? He's still rapid. He's, th- he's thirty-three. He will turn thirty-four in January. 
Right, okay. But yeah, I mean, st- still, you know, um, I was going to say something unbroadcastable off a shovel, but he's, <laughs> he's, he's very, very fast still. And yeah, you've got, you just got to, you just got to get the line right, haven't you? Um, that's all right. Be- City don't struggle with that at all, do they, John? <laughs> <laughs> well, you got. I suppose that the thing you got to look at is, you know, if he does score, just make sure we're doing uh, the right thing at the other end because there's often there's nothing you can do about him getting yeah. in there. Um, when he I'm, is in there, he's bound to finish. City fans know uh, about a, a rivalry with with Brendan Rodgers from back in 2013-14 when he was uh, Liverpool manager. City Liverpool going for the title that year. Um, how's he doing at the moment? He's done very well. First season, tremendous. At the end of the season, previously, he was a breath of fresh air after um, after Claude Powell. He's done very well. He's obviously a very um, progressive manager. He wants money all the time to spend on players and the board have backed him, the, the board and the owners of Leicester. As everyone knows, we don't need to really go into the history. They're unbelievably well-liked at the club. Tremendous. Arguably the best in the league uh, amongst yourselves, etc. But fantastic. Amongst... Other things that have happened, again, we all know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and he is uh, he's a top-class manager. He's well-liked by the players. He's sorted everything out behind the scenes to the liking of his style. We're moving into a new 100 million training ground based um, an awful lot on what's happened at Man City. Apparently, the architects and, and also there was a lot of collaboration between the two clubs uh, regarding the building of a new... Uh, sites just outside of Leicester, right near me, in fact, as I'm speaking. And um, and that's going to happen in the next, literally, few weeks. And so the club is progressing massively off the field. It ge- They are genuinely a club who are going to stick around at the top echelon in English football for a long time, money-wise and also behind the scenes. But but Brendan's been brilliant. He's been absolutely fantastic. He's, he's been everything that you would imagine externally. So... The insight that I would have from being a Leicester fan and from doing what I do at the King Power, being a commentator at the ground, it's there's nothing actually extra that I can give. It's just he is such a professional manager, gives an air of calm. Players understand him, they trust him, and also the fans do as well, which at the size of a club like Leicester and going the places that hopefully they will do, that's quite important because sometimes fans can get kind of beyond themselves. And I think with Brendan in charge, they believe what he says. Look, we haven't got the team for this game. We're going to go with this system and fans will go with it. Or we're going to go completely this different direction and we're going to go this way. And again, fans go with it. And it's nice to have someone in charge who you do believe. For years, we've had Nigel Pearson over a couple of different spells. And he was a guy who who fans believed in as well and trusted with the club. And obviously, Claudio, it was it was a good year and a half of all sorts going on. It was fantastic, <laughs> but th- th- it's a time where we we really do trust the manager. So it's great to have him on board. He's being paid an awful lot of money apparently, and for Leicester fans, I think it's just nice to have someone in charge where you don't worry about the decisions because you just purely trust. A bit like you guys, I'd imagine with Pep, you you just trust in what he does, and there's not an awful lot of questioning because he's being paid the money, he's got the results. And it's just nice to have somebody in charge who you do give full reins. Oh, I don't know about that. Pep makes some odd decisions from time to time, doesn't he, lads? <laughs> yeah, you're not kidding. <laughs> uh, Pete, just before we let you go, um, we have a charity bet on the show coming up a bit later on. Uh, I'm normally quite useless at it, so I'm going to give my prediction to you. Uh, what's your score prediction for uh, this game coming up? 
I generally think it's going to be a, a, a Man City win. I can see maybe Leicester creeping back into the game late on. But I think it's going to be a 2-1 Man City win. Well, uh, I hope you're right because uh, that'll win us some money for the uh, for the pot. Uh, Pete, thank you very much for joining us on today's show. No problem. Uh, all the best apart from on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> so that brings us on to uh, the Burnley League Cup game, which because we're recording this straight after the Bournemouth uh, League Cup win, uh, all we know is that it's going to be next week sometime. We don't exactly know when it's going to be. Um, would you continue the policy, Dan, of a very young City side for this one? I think so, yeah. I mean, you know, none of them let themselves down tonight, did they? Liam Delap. I keep, I'm going to call him, keep calling him Rory throughout this season, I think. But I keep doing that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he scored a great goal uh, against Bournemouth, had a, had a really good game. Um, you know, he looks looks like he's ready for senior football, doesn't he? He was really putting himself <laughs> about at one point, nearly killed their goalkeeper. At one point. <laughs> <laughs> the only person I've seen put in as industrial challenges like that one is Chris Higginbottom, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot more... Uh... Subtle than that, I would hope. <laughs> Perhaps not. Yeah, um, Chris, does it bother you that it that you know playing the kids to a, to a certain point could put City's you know favourite cup in jeopardy? Yeah, I mean Burnley are a lot more um, sort of brash and physical than than Bournemouth. Um, it's a way as well. Does, does that, that make a Does that make a difference? I don't know. Well, it, it seems like from the Premier results, Premiership results, that there's been a lot more away wins than normal. I think uh, this lack of fans thing will suit the um, proper football teams, you know, as in that play football uh, like <laughs> us. I, get, but, I, I see that little dig. Don't don't uh, don't think I don't. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know what you mean, but like. I don't know, people like Garcia, I don't know. He seems to be uh, adamant with sticking with Garcia. I don't know if he's trying to convince him that he doesn't want to go. Um, I find it a little bit odd that he had 16 stitches in a a head wound and started the game with a a Peter Cech uh, head thing on. There's a couple of challenges where in the first part of the game where I was thinking, well... If he's not got 16 stitches in your head, you make a, more of a, a fist of that. And he <laughs> seemed a little bit tentative at times. Well, there was one one time when he was running towards his own goal and he he just sort of waved his foot like a, a sort of limp wand at the ball, hoping for something to happen and like nearly, you know, uh, create a good chance for them. And I, I don't know, I wouldn't, uh, I'm meandering a little, but I wouldn't necessarily start, for instance, Garcia against Burnley. I would be a little bit more, um, go for a bit more sturdiness and a bit more strength. Having said that, the lap does fit into that category. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he's, he's an absolute beast, isn't he? Um, I don't know if like that sort of frame on a 17-year-old, is he going to fill out and end up being the shape of Andy Morrison playing <laughs> offensive mid for Halifax <laughs> Town in five years or what? I mean... He's he's uh, he's a big lad. Like, yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't fancy you know going into a challenge against him. Um, Dan, there is one thing to be said about this competition, though, from a, a City Burnley point of view, is that Burnley struggling for players really. So I mean, they they don't really have much option other than to maybe play the kids if they're saving players for the Premier League. 
No, I guess not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see what what sort of team they're able to put out. Um, yeah, that could play into City's favour. I mean, we have got a lot of options, haven't we? Um, you know, at, at the moment, there's a few players sort of coming back from uh, injury and illness. Uh, who, who you'd imagine might be around next time. It'll it'll probably be a case of you know seeing who who plays against. Um, against Leicester at the weekend and then sort of picking up the uh, the slack from that. So, you know, if John Stones doesn't play, he might play against Burnley next week. Um, I thought Zach Steffen was good against Bournemouth. So I would like to see him, you know, have a proper run in this cup competition and the FA Cup later in the season. I thought he did well. So, uh, yeah, it's all, all looking pretty positive, positive, really. I thought he did well, Steffen, as well. He, uh, there was a touch of the goalkeeper nutcase about him where he slid out and... <laughs> It was about 10 yards outside his box, making a slide tackle. It's like, what are you doing? Brilliant decision. (laughs) Proper save the day uh, on that occasion. And I think you need that as a goalkeeper. They're all a bit uh, mental, aren't they, David? Careful what you say. Careful what you say (laughs) there. Uh, Right, well, we had no wins on the first week for the charity bet, but here's hoping we get off the mark this week. Each of us has a £10 correct score single with William Hill on City's games. The winnings are going to the Christie, a cancer hospital in South Manchester. We already heard from Pete that he thinks uh, Manchester City will beat Leicester City 2-1 on Sunday. Uh, That's 15-2 to and £75 if he's right. Dan, what are you having for that one? I'll go for a 3-1 win for City, the same score as this fixture last year. Uh, that would be 17-2 to and £85 if you're right. Chris, what's your uh, prediction? I'm going for 3-2 to City, and by that I mean Man City. It put me off a little bit when Pete from the Leicester uh, guest slot started referring to Leicester as, as City. Yeah, confusing. It happens sometimes. Uh, but that's 18 to 1. So uh, 180 pounds if you're right for that one. Uh, and obviously the, the Burnley game, because it's so kind of hastily scheduled. Uh, the odds aren't out for that yet, but we will tweet them uh, as soon as they are and ahead of the game. Um, I've gone for a 3-1 win uh, to City on this one. Uh, Dan, what are you having? I reckon 4-2 for some reason. Uh, goals galore, 4-2. And uh, Chris, what's yours? Burnley 1, Manchester City 2. There we go then. Uh, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. Please gamble responsibly. And for more information on responsible gambling, have a look at begambleaware.org. Listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Time for Howard Hawking now. He's talking about pessimism, trust, and City fans' expectations. Well, fancy that. Quite the turn up for the books. The plucky underdogs, Manchester City went to Molyneux and defeated the mighty Wolverhampton Wanderers to gain a vital three points. Well, I assume they were the underdogs judging from my Twitter timeline in the days leading up to the game. Yeah, we're a miserable bunch sometimes, aren't we? I say tongue-in-cheek. Thing is, the rest of the world hardly inspires us to have an upbeat demeanour, so why should football be any different? But being downbeat on City cannot just be about one defender not bought and last season, can it? I've said previously somewhere else this week, I can't remember why, that mood is linked perhaps to requirements, by which I mean that the subconscious fear that 100 points might be needed to win back the league means that there is no opportunity for weakness, and it exacerbates any potential weakness or any gap in our squad or any failure. Every game where points are dropped is a catastrophe. The mood would be more relaxed if 80 points was a par score for winning the league, or even the high 80s. And I still think this might be the case this season, but then I say that every season. 
until Liverpool actually drop points on a semi-regular basis and we don't have to keep making excuses for why they got those three points, such as VAR, lucky decisions or incompetent opposition players and managers, then that fear will persist. If City won the league with 85 points, they would naturally get a much better press and a better perception from City fans than if they came second whilst getting 95 points. That's how it works after all. It's not just about the supposed imperfections of your team squad, but how that squad does against competition, how they match up against rivals. Still, the bookies still have City as odds on to win the league. And there was a reason why Wolverhampton Wanderers were almost 6-1 to to beat City on Monday night. It's because, quite simply, their team is not close to being as good as City's, nor is their manager, who I think is excellent for the record. This may come as a surprise to some who seem to think City were underdogs going into the game, because you might have to play John Stones. The bigger issue for me was the lack of pre-season, and thus the lack of legs. Let's be honest, when Wolves scored on Monday night, many of us waited for the seeming inevitable. From our viewpoint, an equaliser was merely a matter of time. But do you think Wolves fans felt the same at that point in time? I doubt it. But anyway, as a lifelong pessimist, how many times does this team have to prove us wrong for us to trust them to deliver even during difficult times? Perhaps never, the negativity ingrained into a minority of us. But are City fans really any different from anyone else? We all live in our own bubbles online, so we don't see the other side. Of course, Liverpool fans would be the exception. Their absolute need to believe that each of their players is the best in the world in that position surely results in a blanket refusal that they can ever lose a football match. But if you're an Arsenal fan, do you go into games fearing the worst of a Spurs fan? Are City fans any different from anyone else? Is this draining negativity the norm, simply reflecting the worldview? We're all the same, really. I mean, if we share 85% of our DNA with mice, we can't be that different from other humans. Well, most of the time, anyway. Undoubtedly, the hurt of last season is still a factor in mindsets. But would recruitment eradicate the mistakes of last season? I'm not convinced. Better players means fewer mistakes, right? Maybe, but not entirely. Certainly not all of them, of that I'm sure. And is the having to make up 18 points a fallacy too? Well, it might be. It's only true if Liverpool reach 99 points again. If they get 90 instead, then City's task is to find another 9 or 10, not 18. But then, if City lose 9 league games again, they're not winning anything, whatever the required target is. Well then, we never had the use of Sane last season, and little use of Laporte, so to say we're now weaker is laughable. Anyway, let's look at who made those costly mistakes last season, the mistakes that cost City points. Wolves away seems a good place to start, considering the week's events, and it was Edison's red card that cost City dear in the end. Well, he's not going anywhere. Benjamin Mendy was certainly weak in allowing Wolves to get back into that match with what I think was equaliser, as he was against Arsenal in the FA Cup and the odd match elsewhere. But he's not going anywhere either. That defeat at Norwich could have been avoided with a top-class defender in instead of someone like Otamendi that day, but it shouldn't have mattered. Recruitment has nothing to do with losing to a team soon to be relegated that had over half a team unavailable through injury. Recruitment does not prevent Sterling's miss against Leon. Of course a team needs recruitment, it would be madness to suggest otherwise, but success requires also existing players to not repeat the mistakes of the past. The team needs more legs, mobility, pace, and with Foden in the ascendancy and our two new signings, it already has a bit of that. And recruitment does have one major other plus though, apart from the basic skill sets of any new players. It freshens things up, and at least every few years squads need freshening up before they go really stale. 
What baffles me, though, is that some of the analysis of the upcoming season in the Premier League of City and other teams seems committed to assessing this season as if it is normal. It is anything but. We do not know even if it will finish in a normal fashion or at all, nor how the unique times we are living will affect particular teams. There is more to contend with than muscle injuries, poor form or the odd snap ligament. By the end of the season, many clubs that were formed in Victorian times are likely not to exist anymore. Not possibly not exist, but likely not to. That does not mean as a City fan I can't moan about getting a defender in, as of course I have the right to do so. But occasionally perspective is a wonderful tool, and Pep's downbeat mood after a great season opener at Wolves showed that there are bigger issues at play here, but also perhaps some of us are latching onto football matters more than ever in the current climate, as there is little else to do much of the time, and it's a sometimes welcome distraction from a crumbling world. I won't be going near a football ground this season, it seems. It's sobering and it makes getting excited about even the most excellent performances very hard to be truthful. But this is where a football team can really help us all. On Monday night I wished, as I had on many other occasions previous, that my football team was not playing that night. I wanted a stress-free night watching trashy TV, eating biscuits, not the stress of City playing and jawed on my own. By the end of the night I could not get to sleep due to the adrenaline rush and the return of my mojo from a hard-fought 3-1 victory at very tough opponents. This is what football teams give us, repeatedly. Light in the gloom, hope, expectation, and they put a smile on your face, sometimes when you least expect it. They remind you why you do what you do, creating a lifelong bond that can never be broken whatever happens. So whatever this season holds, and none of us can begin to predict what that will be, my expectations are merely that my football team makes me smile as many times as possible. That will do for me. Hello, my name is Gerard Beacons, a former player of Manchester City, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. That was Howard Hawk in there. Now, uh, time to finish with Ask the Panel. This is the bit of the show where you can send your questions to the panellists. Uh, do it on Twitter, at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us as well through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, Christopher Talbot's been in touch on the emails. Uh, he sent a link to a Sky News story uh, about the rise in hate crime figures at football matches and said, is it worrying that City have the highest number of arrests last season for hate crimes and indecent chanting? I've always felt like the Etihad is a safe place to go and I've never heard of anything discriminatory in all my time there. But I'm not part of a minority group, so maybe I'm not listening out for it or as aware of it as I should be. When we go back, how do we make sure that we can make people feel as welcome as I thought we were doing? So, uh, I mean, you guys are both regulars at the Etihad. Do you get the same sort of impression? Same sort of impression that there isn't generally uh, any issues. Yeah, that it's quite a welcoming place. Generally, yeah. Um, I think it's a fairly accurate barometer of kind of normal society and that majority of the time never hear out bad but you know now and again you hear something you think all right mate flipping out sorry for that <laughs> um but yeah as a rule um no i'm surprised that we've had the most arrests i don't know if that means we're you know being more robust in administering a policy of trying to clamp down on that sort of thing, it's like well, this you know, this is it, isn't it? You don't you don't know which side of it has come from of, of whether exactly. actually more arrests is just better policing of the situation. It's like with the COVID thing, isn't it? More tests means more cases. If you're policing it 
um, more vehemently then are you going to notice it more I don't know I don't know on a personal level though which is what you asked I don't hear that much um, bad stuff not certainly less now than I used to because I used to hear bits um, but you know, no no generally not but, but again uh, I'm not like from a minority group so am I listening out for it I mean I think I probably would notice it but not generally, so not really. I don't know. Hard what's, one to answer, really. What's your feelings, Dan? You're, I mean, you've, you're a regular at the Etihad as well. Yeah, I mean, less so nowadays. I, I don't go as much anymore, but certainly have been in, in the past. Um, I mean, I think just the know, ban for abuse. <laughs> <laughs> that did not happen, for the record. Uh, yeah, I think Chris touched it there. You know, as, as a straight white male, I'm you know I'm probably not not uh, my ears aren't as attuned to these things as much as as, as other people are. You know, if, I'd imagine the experience of, of going to the game, even as a woman, is a lot different to to what I experienced there. So, I things over the years that have been um, disappointing to hear and. Um, attitudes are sort of certainly changing um, in the way that people sort of conduct themselves in, in public. You know, there's there's a lot of sort of like you know flagrant homophobia. Um, you know, in, in the main road days and and the early days of the Etihad, that you would hear that a lot. That I don't think you seem to hear as much nowadays. I could be wrong about that. Um, you know, there was the incident last year in, in the derby with the the guy uh, racially abusing the United players that was you know caught on camera, and you know we were all appalled by that, especially as there'd been you know um, the incident with Raheem Silla at Stamford Bridge a year previous when when everyone was really like upset by by what happened there. So um, it is it is like always disappointing when you see fellow City fans behaving in that manner. Um, and I guess the only way to kind of stamp it out is to is to start reporting things when you see them. You know, have a word with someone if you feel confident enough to do so. But yeah. uh, keep, keep highlighting it, basically. Like, yeah, like exactly. Exactly. Don't like just turn a blind eye to it like we would have done in in the bad old days. Um, you know, when you you would have heard something bad, you might have just thought nothing of it because it's just a football match. But it's not acceptable, is it? So yeah, got to keep uh, drawing attention to it. Yeah. Uh, here's a question now that, uh, that that just out of the blue from Jonathan Beals on Twitter. Uh, what's the biggest myth that you want to correct about City? What thing that people always get wrong winds you up the most? Where, where do you start? Uh, <laughs> I think for me, it's probably the um, all the stuff about the money that winds me up a lot because, you know, we all know that City has spent an awful lot of money on getting to where they are today. They wouldn't be there without the money, no doubt about that. Um, I always think sort of like where do you want to start with with like spending in football how far back do you want to go even if you went back to like the start of the Premier League era as it were and kind of totted up all the transfer fees that have been paid you know adjusted it all um, to account for inflation I, I don't think City will be at the top of the, the list in terms of you know money spent and if you went back for the entire history of football they'd be a lot a lot further down that list in fact there was like a, a sort of infographic going around recently that showed like spending in in the I think it was like post-war or something like that in in the Premier League and City were like you know fifth on the list in the end uh, behind you know a lot of the more established clubs and and then of course whenever you do sort of point these things out to people the goal the goalposts shift suddenly it becomes <laughs> about oh but but you know United Arsenal Chelsea who went well Chelsea is not a good example but United Arsenal Liverpool uh, they earned their money so they're allowed to spend it however they want and it's just like it's just an argument that you just goes around in a circle that, that no one could ever possibly win, really, isn't it? Yeah, Chris, is there anything that winds you up like that? Biggest myths? The uh, the nature and number of our fans. Um, I mean, I've, I've I've said it quite a few times. There's no such thing as a shit pun, but Empty Had is now tired out. Like 
people saying, oh, the M2, oh, well, uh, you know, won't be much different for City, will it, with no fans in the ground, you know, because well, the joke I'm making is that there aren't normally any fans in the ground. <laughs> like, just do yourself a favour and stop talking forever because it's just, like, not not amusing, is it? The empty, hard, plastic fans. Oh, you've, you've got loads and loads and loads and millions of plastic fans but you've also got no fans. Like, okay, <laughs> yeah, make, make your um, mind up, mate. Come on. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. The amount of clubs that um, don't have any empty seats in a game, uh, for instance, in the League Cup uh, on a Tuesday or whatever, you know, under normal circumstances, we're not a badly supported club. Um, you know, history and crowd recorded crowds will tell you that uh, particularly like a few record crowds that we've um tied up just find it a little bit like weird like the people try and do that and it's not the fact that the um it's, it's not that it gets to me because i'm like i think you can tell it doesn't get to me but it's, <laughs> it, it's the fact that like they're trying to use that and it's just like, it's like, God, there's so much stuff you could have a go at us for. We've done some really ridiculous, <laughs> like stupid, shoot yourself in the foot things over the years. And you choose to have a go at the fans, which is one of the most impressive, like, you know, one of the most key elements of us as a, as a football club that's that's really stood us in good stead over, over the years. Just like, I just find it, yeah, I just want to slap people for for that. Right, well, uh, before we wind Chris up uh, too much, uh, that's it for this week's Blue Moon Podcast. Thank you very much for listening to the show and thank you to my guests, Dan Burke. Thank you. And Chris Higginbottom. Honour and a pleasure as usual, thank you. Especially for staying up late to record this week's show, ready for Friday morning as well. Especially you, Dan, as well, who are an, who is an hour ahead of both of us. So uh, really, thank you for that. Um, if you'd like some extra Blue Moon podcast or you'd like to support the making of the show, then you can join our Patreon backers and get yourself a bonus episode every week. This week's is all about the links between City and Leicester, players and managers, and some of the notable meetings from our recent histories as well. All the details are on patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon podcast, and it's just $2 a month, which is just over £1.50. Uh, I'll be back next week where we'll be hearing from the scorer of the greatest own goal of all time as we catch up with the former City midfielder Jamie Pollock so I'll see you then That was the Blue Moon Podcast Please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast